Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Encouraging you to live as an ambassador of God's kingdom in the world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Good morning, everyone, here on the 14th of December. I'm Peter Kapsner filling in for Carmen LeBurge, who is away today and all the way through Thursday morning as well, working on a project that she wanted to finish up before the end of the year, so taking some time off. And uh, if you were listening yesterday, you know she called in. She has been without power as well in Tennessee just because of the tornado and the destruction that has happened down in that neck of the woods. But it sounds like all is well with her. It's so good to be with all of you as part of the Faith Radio family this morning, getting up, starting our day with Jesus together, fixing our eyes on him. Always delighted to be joined in studio by Paul Perot as well, who offers just a lot of wisdom and insight into these different conversations. You, you tee up these articles, bring in these guests that help us get started in our day in a way that, that does, as Carmen would say, bring the mind of Christ onto the headlines of the day. And it's something, there's a lot of things we actually need to think more deeply about, bringing the Bible more to bear, because sometimes we do it so surface, so flippantly, we don't yeah. really take the time. We, it's the, it, Instead of hot-taking things, we need to really think, listen, think, and apply. Indeed. And we've been in the Gospel of Luke during this Advent season. We're on Luke chapter 14 as we're starting our day with part uh, of that text. And to your point, Paul, that when we actually allow the scriptures to be the scriptures and really fix our eyes on Jesus and his kingdom, I think we begin to find out how disruptive his kingdom is to the, to the rigors of real life. And we're going to be talking about those very things this morning with our first two guests. Mark Caleb Smith is up first in the first half of this hour. And Gary Stratton in the second half of this hour, and we'll talk about the incredible disruption that's been going on in the way Christianity has been expressing itself in our culture. But Jesus was disruptive in his day, too. He, he stepped into the power structures of his day, and he, and he had a different invitation in the midst of it. So this comes from Luke 14, starting with verse 7. We'll end with verse 11. There's a lot more in this chapter, but this is what we have time for. Today, the the scene is Jesus is with the powerful religious figures of the day, and they're the ones who always expect to have all of the honor directed towards them. They're the ones that expect to have the prominent places in the table. They would be the ones uh, in today's day and age that would have the big ministries of which we would all know. And Jesus steps into those big ministry kind of environments in Luke 14, and he says, when he noticed how the guests, these important people, pick the places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this person your seat. Then, humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you are invited, take the lowest place so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you'll be honored in the presence of all the other guests. And here's a passage that I'm sure many of you as part of our faith radio audience this morning know, for those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. And Paul Perot, he went on to then not just suggest that the important people sit at the table. He said, actually... 
We're going to go ahead and bring a big uh, group of rabble to the table <laughs> instead, and they're going to get the important places of honor. It's so interesting to me. If we allow the scriptures to be the scriptures, they disrupt our thinking mm-hmm. in terms of what's important and where you find power in God's kingdom. Oh, uh, yeah. In- invite the blind, the lame. Uh, yeah, he-, he goes on. The crippled. Th- those are the people just kind of, oh, they're kind of dirty. Something's not right with them. To get that, to do as Jesus did, to humble yourself and love. Yeah, and that's going to be part of the theme of this first hour. We're going to be joined in just a minute by Mark Caleb Smith, who is Associate Professor of Politics at Cedarville, regular guest of the program. And we're going to talk a little bit about how a certain demographic or subset of our population has sought social power in the expression of their faith and maybe why that is falling apart. It's a really interesting article written by David French that the two of us will talk about here next on Mornings Without Carmen. It's about 10 minutes past the top of the hour here on Mornings with Carmen. I'm Peter Kapsner filling in for today and delighted to be joined by Mark Caleb Smith, who's an associate professor of political science at Cedarville University. Joins us regularly here in these mornings to talk about the intersection of politics and faith. Good morning, Mark. Hey, Peter. How are you doing today? Well, I'm doing well. It's interesting to engage in some of these articles that David French, a well-known journalist, ha- ha- has talked about some of the intersection of power and faith that we've seen in our culture. And before we get into this conversation, Mark, I- I've been <clears throat> curious and even puzzled over these last maybe a few months or even years or so. When you actually read the scriptures as we did in Luke chapter 14, they tend to invite us to a very different way of life than we think about related to uh, how we do our daily life. And yet I find myself way too often kind of giving those scriptures a passing nod, but I don't necessarily organize my life according to them. I end up organizing my life according to something else. It's part of what we're going to talk about here in just a minute. But do you see that same kind of phenomenon? Why, Why do we tend to give the scriptures a nod? They're so disruptive, but then we kind of move on with what we already assume is important in life. Yeah, I think you're right. I think that's true for many of us, if not most of us, who are uh, even claimed to be within the body of Christ. Uh, We have a lot of competing allegiances, um, whether that's culture, whether that's politics, uh, whether that's diversion or entertainment, uh, even athletics and other things that we devote ourselves to. And when those things make commitments or when those things put obligations upon us, that sometimes come into conflict with Scripture, that's when I think you can really tell uh, what we're prioritizing. Um, And so, you know, this phenomenon of people whose their children are involved in athletic events on Sunday mornings, so therefore they just miss church. Or like we're going to talk about politics, and sometimes how politics can put you in a difficult position uh, where you have to make decisions. And I think it's a constant struggle for us, but I don't think it's just us. I think it's a constant struggle uh, for all believers in all times and all situations, you know, how do we how do we really think about living in this world uh, and being effective ministers in this world, uh, but at the same time uh, having this sense of God and His kingdom always at hand? And this it's a struggle. Uh, you know, no one promised that this Christian life was going to be easy, uh, but I think this is one of the one of the more complicated parts of it. <laughs> 
Yeah, I think that's well said, Mark. And that word syncretism, if it's a word that our faith radio family is not familiar with, syncretism is the idea in which we blend cultural, perhaps non-kingdom ideas with the ideas of the kingdom. And then we assume those cultural ideas are actually kingdom ideas. And to to your point, you can trace that all throughout history. It happens in every culture, every place where believers find themselves. Mm -hmm. So take us into this David French article, because he does highlight some of that syncretism that we've seen and and maybe why we have such angst as believers and, and even in some ways why the church has begun to lose its witness in our world. Yeah, and this has been a pretty common theme for David French over the last several years. Um, but the basic argument here in an article he wrote recently for the Dispatch um, <clears throat> is that white evangelical Christians seem to be really struggling with how to uh, understand or integrate their faith into their views of politics and their views of culture. And he's, he believes, he argues that Uh, For many white evangelicals, their partisan loyalty uh, becomes more important to them than their basic Christian obligations, Uh, that when uh, what God's Word says comes into conflict with what their understanding of America or American citizenship or Republican affiliation demands, and they tend to go with their understanding of America or Republican affiliation. Uh, Let me give you sort of an example of what he's talking about. There's there's a passage of Scripture, Galatians 5.1. Uh, probably familiar to listeners, but Galatians 5.1 says, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Now, if you listen to that passage of Scripture and immediately think of political things, you know, how it's about freedom and liberty and how we should be pursuing our political freedoms and our rights, well, that's an example of what French is talking about, right? This passage Mm. of Scripture has nothing to do with politics, has nothing to do with government or policy or anything like that. It's all about our freedom within Christ from the bondage of sin and from the slavery of sin. It has nothing to do with these political things. But we have this tendency, I think, to pull these kinds of scriptures out, politicize them, and then start to build some sort of weird amalgamation, you know, of what we think is our faith, but was also partly our politics and our ideology kind of welded together. Um, And when you encounter it, it's really difficult to have conversations about it because people have built their identity on, uh, on this kind of understanding. Yeah, you're, you're making such an important point related to the fact that we do tend to interpret scriptures through our 21st century lens, but that is hardly ever going to be the case. I mean, things like individualism, things like right. the pursuit of happiness, things like liberty and life, as important as they may be for running a secular country. And, and I do think that those principles have been uh, some, of the, some of the best governmental kind of principles we've seen right. in the history right. of the world. They are different principles than the principles of the kingdom. You cannot wed those two together. No, I, I don't think that you can. And you have to really pay attention to when those things potentially come into conflict with each other. So, uh, for example, you know, I think our politics right now uh, on both sides of the aisle, the right and the left, you know, we could quote examples of the left doing the same thing with right. other parts of Scripture. Uh, but our politics right now really pulls us to extremes and it really favors uh, denigration hostility, anger, rage. That's the way you get attention, especially online and other places. Then when you look at the portrait of a Christian life in Scripture, when you read the Sermon on the Mount, uh, we're not called to any of those things. We're not called to live that way. We're not called to be people of rage and anger. Uh, We're called to be people of love. Uh, We're talking about turning the other cheek. We're talking about loving our enemies. Um, But that doesn't really translate well into our politics right now. And I think it's a great it's a great example of how 
uh, we get pulled into various directions by our circumstances, but don't take the time to think through, uh, what does the word of God require out of me? And should that really be dictating my actions more than what's politically convenient or what might help me win this next election or what might help me win an argument, uh, you know, around the Christmas dinner table? Yeah, Mark, one more thought on this, then we'll take a short break. We're, I'm going to be chatting with Rod Rayer, uh, the Benedict option in the second hour of the show about the idea of sort of just, just getting out of Dodge a bit as believers right. and, and beginning to shape a way of life. And sometimes I think you could safely say that there is at least uh, a light kind of convergence between the way of life of believers with maybe something from the political left or the political right. But it, it almost seems like there needs to be a political detox for believers where they just get out of Dodge for a period of time and reestablish a different way of life together, independent of the political scene. Yeah, I I think there's a lot of wisdom to it. You know, it's really difficult to hold those things in balance. How do we, uh, how do we maintain some kind of effectiveness politically, uh, but still be properly detached from politics as an idol? Because that's really what we're talking about. You know, the politics consumes the central place in my life where effectively I'm, I'm living my life around political points of view, uh, then it's a significant problem. And so I think what Dreher addresses and what we need to wrestle through, I think, as evangelicals is where are we in our society right now? How can we be most effective, uh, not only for the kingdom of God, but for our society and sometimes that's going to be political. Sometimes it's going to be other things, and we have to wrestle with that. Mm, yeah, well, the good news is is that God's kingdom is not under threat at all, right? I mean, even as, as our that's country right. might be in the, in the midst of some pretty hot division right now, we have nothing to fear as believers because his kingdom will remain forever and ever. Mark, let's step away for just a minute. When we come back, I would love to get your take on uh, Brian Williams stepping away from MSNBC. He had a pretty interesting farewell address and how he perceived some of these things. So I'll get your comments on that next here on Mornings Without Carmen. Uh, Welcome back to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Peter Kapsner filling in for today, and we've been talking with Mark Caleb Smith about uh, some of the dimensions of politics and our country and how we as believers can live faithfully within those. Mark, when Paul Perot and I were talking about today's show yesterday in preparation for it, he reminded me of a clip of the farewell address that Brian Williams, the anchor, longtime anchor within various news organizations, gave at, when he left MSNBC in this last week or so. I haven't been terribly sympathetic to Brian Williams' version of news over these past few years, but I found what he had to say pretty compelling in terms of the destruction that is coming that, seem, that, that both sides seem to want to wreak. So I'd love to get your comment on this after Paul plays this clip. My biggest worry is for my country. The truth is I'm not a liberal or a conservative. I'm an institutionalist. But the darkness on the edge of town has spread to the main roads and highways and neighborhoods. It's now at the local bar and the bowling alley, at the school board and the grocery store. And it must be acknowledged and answered for. Grown men and women who swore an oath to our Constitution, elected by their constituents, possessing the kinds of college degrees I could only dream of, have decided to join the mob and become something they are not, while hoping we somehow forget who they were. They've decided to burn it all down with us inside. That should scare you to no end as much as it scares an aging volunteer fireman. Mark, that comment that he made about the darkness at the edges of town that has now become part of the highways and the byways, it, that has haunted me since I listened to that clip because there there is seemingly this sort of darkness and I can't help but uh, always be reminded of the fact that we as believers are people of light and, and we have an opportunity to shine a really bright light in the midst of this. How did you react to, to Brian's statement? 
Yeah, I had a similar reaction to it, um, and I think that it's fairly descriptive of, of what we see. Um, the amount of polarization, you know, it's a word we use a lot these days, but the amount of polarization is uh, pretty remarkable, uh, even for someone who studies politics and who studied American history extensively. Um, there's very little incentive for anyone to reach across the aisle, however we define the aisle, whether it's religious, uh, whether it's political, whether it's cultural. Um, there's so many rewards in place for sort of telling people what they want to hear, whether that's to raise money, whether that's to get uh, social media attention, uh, whatever it may be, or to go viral. Uh, the way to do all those things is to tell people what they want to hear and, and to generate uh, traffic at the extreme edges of reality. And I think that's what he's what he's getting at. Uh, when you look at our political parties right now, for example, um, they're divided in a way that we really haven't seen <clears throat> for at least since we've been studying public opinion, which really is early in the 20th century. Um, they're just far apart from each other, very little overlap between them, very little room for compromise. And when you look at our elections, they tend to flow from that as well. Very few competitive elections, therefore very little incentive to do much but to sort of keep feeding this beast of polarization that we're creating. And to get uh, to start healing some of that polarization, I would be curious your thoughts as we kind of land the plane for all of us that, that are part of this conversation, uh, whether we're part of the Faith Radio family listening this morning, whether it's it's you and me, we all have the same invitation. Uh, I, I think sometimes, Mark, that as individuals, one of the key disciplines we can do is actually engage in conversation with somebody else from the lens of mutuality, <laughs> meaning that I'm going to take your point of view, however different it is from mine, as seriously as I take my own. It doesn't mean that I'm going to necessarily agree with it, but I'm going to both recognize the limitations of my view while also listening to your view. It seems like something just that practical could start healing the divide because generally speaking, people are pretty fun to hang out with. Not always. There's a, there's a lot of, of, of difficult circumstances in this world, but I think we can start moving through some of the polarization if we just simply learn to have conversation with each other again. Yeah, I agree. But the key to that is finding people to even have the conversation right, with because right. so many of us exist in bubbles uh, where we don't even encounter people who have different points of view mm. to even start that kind of a conversation. So we have to we have to look for spaces where those kind of conversations can happen and then have the courage to have those conversations and discuss with people uh, reasonably what we think and why we believe it. And uh, it's not complicated. It's just we ha we've gotten out of practice. Do you think there's some maybe measure of correction if we start to become more localized in our in our lives? Yeah. And what I mean by that is that I often am traveling 20 minutes one direction, 35 another direction. I'm setting up adult play dates <laughs> with friends of mine that might live a half an hour right. away, but I barely know the people in my community. Is there right. possibility of moving back into more of a parish mentality? Because I, I know some neighborhoods might look homogeneous, they, they may look the same. Oh, Paul, what's that word? Homogeneous. Homogene thank you. See, this is why about? people like you and Mark uh, belong. Thank you. Homogenous. That's homogenous, the word. That yeah, too. this is why we bring Mark on the program. Uh, we all might look the same, Mark, uh, in some of our communities. But at the end of the day, there's a lot of diversity in terms of people's backgrounds and opinions just within our local neighborhood. And maybe if we just start investing there again and, and stop sort of all this crazy mobility and technology that, that drives us apart, we can begin to see one another again. Yeah, I think you're right. Uh, and I think that would be a great initiative. And we have these amazing things called churches that are located in neighborhoods. <laughs> Who would have thought? Uh, where some of these things can happen. Yeah. And so there are organizations in place that would be perfect for this if we would just simply go out and, and use them that way. So yeah, I agree. Mark, thanks for the just the hopeful comments this morning. We've got about a minute left. Uh, any special way that you're going to be celebrating Christmas this year? 
I'll do a little bit of traveling, do a lot of sleeping. Uh, <laughs> but before any of that can happen, I have to do a whole pile of grading uh, uh. before tomorrow at 3 p.m. And so uh, the next uh, 36 hours or so are going to be pretty exhausting. But after that, it's going to be time to celebrate. So right. it'll be it'll be a good holiday. I love it. What's, what, what assignment did you give your students this this year, Mark? Uh, I use blue book exams still. So thinking back to the old days, they have to actually write essays. I got a lot of those to grade. I've got a lot of common law papers to grade. Uh, and I've got a lot of, uh, papers to grade from a class you'd find interesting on Christianity and, uh, uh, Christian nationalism actually is what the class is about. And so, uh, lots of good stuff to grade. It'll be fun in a way. I love it. Well, you can send me all those papers, and for a small <laughs> fee per paper, I'd be happy to be your teaching assistant <laughs> this semester. It's great stuff. I may get desperate. I love it. I love it. Well, have a great Christmas, Mark, and thanks so much for just taking the time right. that you do on Mornings with Carmen all throughout this year to just give us a real good sense of, of having our faith come to bear on the political scene. Have a great Christmas. Hey, thanks to you, Peter, and Paul as well. Thank you. Merry Christmas. We'll take a short break, step away, and then we'll highlight the great giveaway that we're doing here at Faith Radio at the bottom of the hour. And in the second half of this hour on Mornings Without Carmen, we'll be joined by Gary Stratton, and we'll talk a little bit about the impact of some of the moral failures in the church and how we can find the way of light moving forward in that conversation as well. Well, we just got done with Mark Caleb Smith talking a little bit about how we as believers can shine light in the world. And one of the ways you can do that is to join us here at Faith Radio for the great giveaway in which we are doing intentional acts of kindness, sharing God's love with a hurting world. It's a really easy thing to do. We'd love for all of you to sign up to do this. It is If you go to MyFaithRadio.com, we're looking for you to be one of a thousand people, and we easily have a thousand people that could do this, to get a stack of inspirational cards to hand out when making a difference with an intentional act of kindness. You'll also get entered into a giveaway for a $50 gift card. And then we're having a live show on December 17th with the three main hosts, Susie Carmen and Bill at 3 p.m. Central Time, and we'll share some of the great stories around these intentional acts of kindness. So we'd love for you to sign up again at MyFaithRadio.com. Just head there and join part of the great giveaway. Up next, Gary Stratton from Johnson University. He's the Dean of Arts and Sciences there, and we're going to talk a little bit about some of the changing trends in Christendom and what we see in the future. Are your kids over-the-top busy? Do they run from school to after-school activities, choke down a quick dinner, and then rush off for more time with friends? Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. We're raising a generation of kids who are repeating what we do, and that's packing our schedule full of activity. There's nothing wrong with lots of activity and making friends, but I do throw caution on wearing out our kids with too much stuff. If you're too busy to slow down and spend one-on-one time with your son or daughter, you're too busy. If your teen is too busy to make it home for dinner, you might need to put some restrictions on the activities. Take time to build healthy relationships at home. Want more help from Mark Gregston? Find books and other resources online at parentingtodaysteens.org. That's parentingtodaysteens.org.
Welcome back to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Peter Kapsner filling in for today here on the 14th of December. And we are joined by Dr. Gary Stratton this morning. He's the Dean of Art and Sciences at Johnson University in Tennessee. And Gary used to also work with filmmakers in Hollywood to bring Christian themes into movies. And we're going to talk a little bit here, Gary, about It's a Wonderful Life. Uh, It came up last week. It's come up actually in the last four years as part of my work here at Faith Radio that I still have not seen It's a Wonderful (laughs) Life. You're the Hollywood guy, Gary. Help me out here. Ah, I said earlier, it's like you haven't re- read the book of Acts. I mean, what is wrong with you? <laughs> it, it, it definitely is evidence, again, of the many shortcomings I bring to the table. But you, as, to get into our conversation today about even some of the future of the church, you said that we can learn some things from It's a Wonderful Life. Now, now don't be a spoiler here, Gary, because I may someday see this movie. But help me out. Take, take me into this conversation. Well, I, like you, I got into my adult life without ever seeing It's a Wonderful Life, even though it was ubiquitous in American television <laughs> because it had gone into public domain because it was so unvalued by Liberty Films who made it. Uh, it was considered an utter failure. Uh, but uh, it, because it was in public domain, it started getting shown all the time and eventually became the, the hit that it is. And it's often in the top five films ever made lists uh, regularly. But it is, it was made by Frank Capra very deliberately as a worldview statement. He wanted to talk the difference between a, a, a world that was based on capitalism, a world that was based on uh, where you're always out for yourself and look at this bigger world of, of values where looking out for others is the most important thing and that that is underrooted by a belief in God. Uh, most people miss that the cheesy beginning of the movie is everybody praying and these constellations talking to each other in answer to the prayer. And the entire movie is an answer to prayer, and it is a supernaturally based film uh, that gets across the idea, I won't give anything more more away, uh, (laughs) about uh, living a life for others is in the end the, the right and rewarding thing to do. That phrase you just said, living life for others, I I think right there, there's a lot of subtlety that you and I can talk about in terms of how the church has tended to express itself over this last generation. And by church, we simply mean the institution of the church and not necessarily the people of God following Jesus empowered by the spirit to shine light in the world. That, that was the original definition of the church and, and that church of the first century didn't need buildings. It didn't need ministries. It didn't need websites. It didn't need pithy sayings or Twitter or Facebook or building ministry brands or anything along those lines. But Gary, in the, in the last 30 or 40 years, it's been a really interesting outlier to have the church decide to try to build these big ministry environments. And in so doing, it seemed to almost be a fair-minded analysis of a little bit self-serving. It was about people's jobs and their livelihoods, and they would try to have brands and advertisements, and they would try to persuade people to become part of their ministry. But what have we seen in the results of that in these last 30 or 40 years? We've seen the fall of so many of these different kinds of ministries. What is your, I know you and I have been talking about this for a long time, including even this morning. What is your take on what's happening here? Well, I mean, I'll go back, and this is the segue from It's a Wonderful Life. I mean, we've we've managed to create Pottersville um, in, in the mega church. We created something that's all about uh, a few people at the top having the power and all too often the money. It, it, let's be honest, it mm-hmm. is about the money, um, which actually makes people miserable when the research says that once you start making $200,000 per year, you start every dollar you make makes you more miserable. Mm. Um and when you've got uh, mega churches that are handling millions of dollars, that's just inevitable that there's going to be problems that are going to come out. But I think it's a deeper 
problem than that. I think it's losing sight of what following Jesus is all about, because in the end, following Jesus is all about living your life in other-centered service. And that we've somehow created this transactional gospel. Well, if you pray this prayer, you can come to my church, you can give our money. And as long as you keep filling the the pews and do, giving referrals for new business people to come in and join you, uh, then you can just be really happy that you're now a Jesus follower. And I'm not saying you're not a Jesus follower, but you're not the kind of Jesus follower that Jesus was trying to make. Mm. Yeah, there gets to be so much tension that you would associate your Christian life with a certain kind of ministry that you almost have allegiance to that ministry. And and Gary, again, we'll, we'll talk about some of the hopeful pathways here, but it's really helpful to understand the issue, I think, before we talk about some of those hopeful pathways. And, and the issue is just what you said. It so often revolves around money. And and, and I'm sure many people that are part of our faith radio family know this, and maybe some don't, but it's it's been troubling, troubling to me, if, if not fascinating, in, in not a great way, how often churches are reducing people down to giving units, and they, and they figure out their budget that is maybe, let's say, 100000 or $200,000 a year, and from there they do a demographic analysis of their community about how many people do they need to get into the fold to be able to fill the church budget because they know how much the average person is going to give. And so they're giving units and then they create all kinds of marketing ploys and develop branding and they hit social media and market their channels to get people through the door. And then they consider themselves blessed if they actually hit the church budget. And I don't know, Gary, I don't mean to be overly cynical about this, and and you're not going to talk about the impact this has had that we see in the next generation in just a bit, but this has not been without impact, and dare I say, it's not even kingdom life to begin with. No, I I don't think it is. I was uh, meditating through the Sermon on the Mount yesterday, and Jesus saying, uh, when you give, don't let your right hand know what your left hand's doing, and I got to thinking, well, there's a reverse side of that. When people are giving to your church, your parachurch organization, there's something dangerous about knowing uh, who's giving and who's not and how much they're giving and they're no not. There's just, it's human nature to start to cater to uh, the giving units, the bigger giving units, as you say. Uh, and it's, uh, it, it is a, it is a dark road down a lonely path that ends in destruction. I think that's what Jesus said. So. <laughs> well, and Gary, why is that? I was talking with our first guest that that why is it that we read some of these things in Scripture, but we tend to give them a passing nod, and we don't necessarily organize our personal lives or our corporate lives or our ministry lives around actually the words of Jesus. We, we claim to be followers of Jesus, but if we actually read his words, I would think that it would disrupt the way that we would be doing ministry life together as believers in this society. Yeah, it sounds like a book someone should be writing. Oh, no, it'll come out next fall. So that's <laughs> Tell us more, Gary. I'm so curious. <laughs> a different kind of teacher following Jesus from student to disciple. So it's I was just basically rooted in the idea that Jesus started a college before he started a church. Hmm. Um, it doesn't mean he started, you know, a major research university or something, but it was, it was collegial. It was relational. Um, and whenever the church starts moving away from being relational and how it does things, we're in trouble. Um, it is not uncommon for the, for mega church pastors to literally have no relationship with anybody. Um, not just an accountability relationship, but just no relationship. It's all in a business contact. They have no friends. Um, no one who they have, no one who's a peer in their life. And then they create churches that are like that. Uh, I, I'm not. You know, you're familiar with the dinner church movement? Uh, I am not. Tell me about it. Yeah, it's uh, started. Uh, 
gosh, just, I guess it's been going on for 20 years, but just the idea that if there isn't a table, then it isn't mm. the church. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a lot of truth to that. Um, that, you know, certainly there were big meetings that Jesus preached at. Certainly there were big meetings that the apostles spoke to. But when they talked about the church, they were always talking about a group of people who were sitting down and eating together. Not a few, not a cup with a little juice in it and a little uh, cracker. And they were sitting there and they were eating together. They were in relationship with one another. And wherever you see revolution, positive spiritual revolution happening in the history of the church, it's almost always rooted in networks of love feasts or dinner churches or whatever you want to call them, or little collegias where people are gathering together to devote themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Gary, let's talk about that in our next segment in just a minute, but one more point here before we go, because I think what you just outlined really is the the coming revolution and reformation of the church that I, I would love to get ahead of that curve, because last point of where we are right now, I think we've seen the fruit of these 30 or 40 or 50 years of developing all of these large organizations and ministry brands and, and all of what we're doing with when we see the fall of so many of the visible prominent leaders. I know with Rabbi Zacharias last spring, it was just one more in a whole litany in a line of, and, and I started talking with my students in class and, and said, so I think this represents the official end of Christendom, that we're not going backwards, that these large ministries and movements, it, it's finally coming to a crashing halt. And, and maybe they weren't inconsistent with God, or they weren't consistent with God's kingdom to begin with. And maybe God is finally withdrawing his hand for a new way forward. I think you're seeing some really similar things where you teach, right? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. We're talking with Gary Stratton this morning. He's the Dean of Art and Sciences at Johnson University in Tennessee. When we come back, we want to get a little bit more into the hopeful pathway forward about what we see as believers, because God's kingdom is not under threat at all, and we have a great opportunity as believers to shine light in the world. Clarence! Clarence! Help me, Clarence! Get me back! Get me back! I don't care what happens to me! Get me back to my wife and kids! Help me, Terrence, please. Please. I want to live again. I want to live again. I want to live again. Please, God, let me live again. Welcome back to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Peter Kapsler filling in today. That is a clip, I believe, from It's a Wonderful Life. And I have he to say, believes? I have to say, I believe uh, because I have not seen this movie. We're chatting with Gary Stratton from Johnson University, Gary. who help is Gary. as scandalized as Paul Perot and many of you who have been texting in this morning at 877-933-2484. I, I feel appropriately chastened, Gary. I'm going to have to set aside a couple hours for this movie here over the holidays. I, I cannot recommend enough. I think I said I didn't see it to my adult life. Sue and I just made some really big decisions that were kind of countercultural. And she fell asleep while <laughs> and I turned on the TV and there was this weird black and white movie on. And I just wept my way through the movie. All um, right. Well, I, I, I trust your discernment, Gary. I'll, I'll, try to, <laughs> I'll try to do this here in the next couple of weeks. And you're talking about making some countercultural moves as part of our ongoing conversation you have, I have had this morning about the future of the church. And I think when, when we see the next generation, they really are desperately disinterested in joining the institution and the organization as it has existed. And so I don't think this is about trying to build a better wineskin or, or try to build a better ministry. This really is about reshaping 
things. And, and I think that can maybe happen on two levels, both of which related to things that you had to say. The first thing is recapturing a real authentic sense of discipleship. And you have a book coming out on this next year, I know, but this book is just simply the result of many, many, many years of you studying what the kingdom life is like. And so give us a little sense again about what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, where we're authentically growing in our faith from the inside out. We're not playing games. We're not trying to manage our behavior. Sin is such a significant problem. And and, and you talk about becoming a disciple of Jesus over time. We actually begin to be like Jesus, not in a fraudulent way, but in an actual way. Yeah, I'm, I think part of the problem, is, I mean, there's probably twofold, but we don't start with this idea that you start following Jesus as his student, that he's your teacher. Doesn't mean he's not God, doesn't mean he's not your savior, but that's not how Jesus started training his disciples. Mm. It was in this rabbinic idea of being in, in deep connection with a rabbi who was teaching you to master his teachings. And yet most most American Christians can't even name most of Jesus' teachings. They don't even know what's in the Sermon on the Mount. Um, and it's easy and subtle to fall into. We did an analysis of our own curriculum and realized that the student we have asked students to do 33 credits of Bible in our in our core curriculum, and they actually, if they did it creatively, they could spend only one semester one excuse me one half of one semester actually studying the life and teachings of Jesus. So, it's a subtle thing that we fall into. But if we don't, we lose the idea that we start following Jesus because we have a desire. We see something out of him that we want in him and therefore we come under his instruction. But then as we start realizing his instruction, we have to surrender our desires to his desires. And we do that in a community. And along the same way, we're also developing this intimacy with him. He's putting his power into his life. He's making us the kind of people that live like he does at other centered service, a life of love. And that he calls us to endure in bearing that kind of fruit in our life to the ends of the earth, teaching everyone everywhere, everything that he's taught us is the great commission, which we quote, and yet nobody does. <laughs> so, uh, that's what the, that's what the book's all about, but it's really rooted in, uh, maybe deconstructing some ways that we look at it today that just are a little too simplistic and transactional. Yeah, I teach a uh, discipleship and evangelism evangelism course here at the University of Northwestern, and and you just mentioned the Great Commission. It's really interesting, Gary. It says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing or, or immersing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you, and I, as your rabbi, will be with you always, even into the end of the age. And there's nothing in that statement that says basically go make sure everybody prays a, a prayer on a Wednesday night to get saved or something along those lines. That's that's a later gloss in theologically from the church. The original invitation was that the conversion was to say, yes, I give up my life to follow you as my rabbi, Jesus. Right, exactly. And somehow we've just subtly lost that um, and put the, cast the categories into other ways of looking at things that are just not particularly helpful but whenever throughout history you find, uh, and this is kind of an irony, when you find God really on the move, you find at the heart of it uh, people who are meeting in small groups to pray, to study the life of Jesus, to be engaged in one another's life, to, to break bread together, to eat together. Now, then God winds blow on that spark, and it often results in large meetings and large movements. But the heart, the backbone of that all is these small and different different movements have different names for them. Uh, but these small groups of people who are disciples together in community following Jesus. And 
Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. The center of that, Gary, sorry to, to jump in, really is the communion table at the end of the day. I yes. know that as uh, believers, my wife and I and our family, and we've been inviting other families as well, that we're gathering every Sunday just simply in a home to <clears throat> share. We'll read some of the scriptures and we will share community together around the table that involves a meal as well. And there it is this rich and beautiful and lovely time. And, and for all of the good that the Protestant Reformation did, and it did a lot of good, uh, but they also threw a lot of things out that maybe shouldn't have been thrown out, where we did shove aside the communion table as the center of the gathering, the center of the celebration, in favor of the pulpit, which I understand there is re- reform going on, but that pulpit kind of created its own monster, where then some 400 years later, we ended up with the most charismatic speakers from the pulpit, and then building ministries around them instead of the center of the service as to why we gather. Yeah, and you know, for thousands of years, the center of coming together in the church was because Jesus is going to show up. Right. I mean, it's the presence of God and the Holy Spirit that's going to come and make the difference. It's not the speaker. Now, it's nothing wrong with having a good speaker. Don't get me wrong, but it's it's what is the end result? Is the end result just numerical growth, or is the end result the spiritual formation of the people who are gathering? And if that happens, that has to happen in community, genuine community. Hmm. Gary, we have just about a minute left or so. So if, if you were in charge for a day, how would you organize a group of believers to gather people that are part of our Faith Radio family thinking, gosh, I would love to grow in this discipleship kind of way. What, what would you do in a given week? Well, I think exactly what you are talking about, Sue, and I call them communion fellowships, but just to get together for us, it's Friday night um, with enough people that can... F- uh, fit in a dining room or a living room, eating a meal together. Maybe you got to rotate around. I mean, it's wonderful because kids can be involved in that. And we talk, talk as adults, let the kids go play and then break out a guitar and sit and talk and sing in the living room while the kids fall asleep around the edge of the uh, edge of the circle. I mean, something that's just very truly organic. Um, it's fine if you just rotate leadership, though somebody normally has to play on the logistics. And of course, if that's part of a broader, of a, of a larger church that's nurturing that, that's fantastic. Right. Well, Gary, if you show up at the guitar at my house, man, I am all in. <laughs> it I just, won't be me. It won't be. <laughs> hey, thanks for taking the time this morning. It's always great to hear your voice, have your wisdom. Great Looking to forward to seeing you over the holidays. I know you're going to be in, in this area. You should stop by Faith Radio when you and Sue show up. We, we love your wisdom and your perspective, and I promise I'll do my best to watch It's a Wonderful Life over the holidays. That'll be awesome. All right. Now, we'll take a short break here, wrap up this hour of the show, and preview hour two up next on Mornings Without Carmen. Chestnuts roasting on an open fire. So nice to have people like Gary Stratton come in with the wisdom that they bring just from a long sense of history within organized Christianity in which he is a a person of light in in the midst of so many of the challenges that we face as disciples. I highly recommend going back to the podcast, listening to what he had to say over these last 15, 20 minutes. If you're just joining the conversation, you can go to myfaithradio.com, hit the mornings with Carmen page and see what Gary had to say. Up next in hour two, we'll be joined by regular guest Justin Gibney, and we'll talk a little bit more about how we can get out of the polarization of politics and into as people of faith shine light in the midst of them. So stay with us. More to come here on Mornings Without Carmen. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.